0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher.
1: Hi, this is Desi Jennikan.
0: Who's reading Patreon?
1: You. Oh, I don't me? even have my phone out.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> we have a Patreon for this podcast, and you can subscribe at Patreon dot com slash Hollywood crime scene and get access to all of the bonus content that we put out on our Patreon. You can listen to it in whatever app you use to listen to your podcast when you subscribe. And there's ad free episodes as well. We also have ad free episodes too. So if you hate the ads, go to our Patreon and subscribe. Anyway, like, like this, these people did. Like these people did. This <laughs> week we had Lillian, Katie, Brandy, Ariana, Amanda, Reagan, Emily, Allegra, Leah, Amy, Ryan, Les, Patrick, Suvi, John, Kristen, Ellen, Adam, Marilyn, Nina, Demanda, Hannah, Mel, Anastasia, and Salise. Thank, thank you Thank guys. you all.
1: Okay, so this is a case that people have asked us to do for a long time, and that is the murder of Jasmine Fiore by reality show contestant Ryan Jenkins. We've covered reality show scandals and crimes before, but none as horrific as this case, which actually ended up changing the way reality show casting is done, really tightening up the protocols that are done in the beginning, as well as making sure that they take care of any post-care contestant um, stuff that contestants or cast members might need after being on the show. Really? Those things are stressful. Yeah. Um, anyway, I don't know that they're still doing enough because it does seem like sometimes people are on these shows where I'm like, hmm, well, are they okay?
0: Like, <laughs> well, and also TLC. Look, I love TLC, but they casted this dude, Jeffrey, on 90 Day Fiance a few years ago and he had like a huge rap sheet for domestic violence oh, charge, really? charges yes and he actually just got sentenced to 18 years in jail oh shit but he, but while he was on the show people were like why is this dude on the show
1: so it was you guys noticed something watching it which episode which season was he on
0: it was I don't know, but it's the season that... It's one of the seasons I covered on my old 90 Day Fiance podcast, 90 Day Slumber Party. Okay. And we just didn't talk about him because we were like, fuck that guy. We're not going to cover his story. Okay,
1: um, Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like a lot of times it's like, are they good for TV? Well, maybe we'll let something slide. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure every production company has their own way of handling it. Um, so my sources for this case are a lot since there are no books. I watched a 2020 on the case, an episode of See No Evil. I read numerous newspaper articles from the LA Times. Most were written by Andrew Blankstein and Richard Winton. I also hit up the OC Register coverage. Most of those were written by Denise Salazar and Michael Mello, as well as a story from EW written by Kristen Baldwin. So lots of that. It's really hard when there's no book.
0: Because you're like, did I
1: miss an article where there's something I need? Right. And you just don't know. Because there's hundreds of articles. This was a big story. So I just focused on the local coverage. Anyway, in 2007, a former Playboy model named Megan Hauserman made her first appearance on a TV show. It was season three of a game show called Beauty and the Geek. In the show, a geek and a bimbo basically are uh, teamed up and they have to work together to win competitions. Megan and her partner went on to win the third season, splitting a $250,000 prize. Do you remember this game show? I
0: do, but I thought it was like a romance
1: no. show. It wasn't a romance show. It was like, he has brains, but no social skills. She's oh. charming and cute, but dumb. Like, that was basically the premise. Okay. Um, I mean, maybe there was. I didn't watch it, and I didn't see anything written about it, but I never saw the show. But Megan was not done yet. She was hooked on this easy money and fame that reality TV brought her. So when she saw a Craigslist casting notice for the second season of VH1's Rock of Love with Bret Michaels, she knew she wanted in. According to her, I saw this ad on Craigslist and I went to an open call at a Chicago restaurant in which the casting people were traveling all over the country and accepting videos from all over the world. They picked me out of thousands of applicants. She appears um on the second season with brett michaels she 's eliminated in the ninth episode because Michaels never felt a real connection with her, uh, so she was in fifth place on this show. That's Did you ever watch good.
0: this show? No, but i obviously i, I mean it was on v h one like twenty four hours a day
1: best I love it you I, like I rock loved of love? Rock of love. <laughs> the girls were so trashy. I loved it. <laughs> they were all like rock and roll girls and really wild. Uh she lost to a woman named Amber Lake, spelled A M B R E. Amber <laughs> That's how I was like just, theater? What? Like theater. Yeah. I theater? always was like Amber. <laughs> I don't know why I always <laughs> said it that way. She was like older, like an older rock chick. Yeah. Uh, anyway, So that Megan, show, Megan
0: did not find love with Brett Michaels.
1: She did not. In an interview with the Jacksonville Observer, she said, I was really heartbroken over Brett Michaels for a long time. I went on there and I did fall in love with him, but we remained friends. Uh, she got over it. Now... Uh, <laughs> Megan is still not done. Next up, she was on I Love Money. This is a show in which former VH1 reality show contestants compete against each other. It's kind of like a Big Brother slash competition situation. Um, So it's all people from like I Love New York and Flavor of Love, like all the dating shows that VH1 did in the early uh, 2000s. They were a machine in the early to mid-aughts. Those (laughs) dating shows were
0: pretty... Good, I thought. I this is it's funny because as, for as much reality TV as I watch now, I did not watch reality TV in this era, which was I know a peak era for a lot of people. Right. But I did not. I wasn't. I was never into the reality shows where they just throw a bunch of people in a house. No, but these
1: were dating. These were like bachelor, like, right? Trashy bachelors, right? Uh, so they were definitely good. I didn't watch all of them, and I didn't watch I Love Money. Uh, but so, Megan was famous for coming onto the show and saying that she wanted to win the money to help mentally challenged dogs. That's dogs? like her dogs. mentally <laughs> mentally challenged dogs. That was her <laughs> That's famous so specific. reasoning. Um, she ends up quitting the competition in the 13th episode of the show, which is the finale, when it was revealed that she would have to face a jury of her former contestants, all of whom she had a part in eliminating. So she didn't want to face these people she screwed over. You know how they do that? It's kind of yeah. like Survivor, I guess. Yeah. So she ended up finishing in third place. Now, she stated in her exit interview that she was happy with her decision to quit, not only because it stopped her contest- the other contestants from getting the satisfaction of giving her payback, But she also was happy that she stopped everyone she didn't want to get the money, and she liked anyone in the top three winning. She's a petty queen. yeah. Um, So she's like, I was never going to win anyway, so she just simply came to screw people over and have fun. (laughs) Um, So on the I Love Money reunion special, Megan said that there were no rules opposing the way she played, and she used her brains to outsmart people because it was her God-given talent. Now, needless to say, while audiences enjoyed Megan's antics, her castmates usually didn't. And she was like one of those contestants people love to hate, like right. a classic sort of villain that made everything pretty fun. Right. Um, so she used that to her advantage scoring another gig on a very popular VH1 reality show, Rock of Love Charm School. So charm school was a fantasy, and this was a season with all ex rock of love girls, so you know it's gonna be juicy, yeah, <laughs> this one I did watch because I knew all the contestants. What
0: was the premise to this?
1: The premise was to get all these trash girls, put them into charm school. The host was um Sharon Osborne right, and she was making these women into little ladies. So they all lived into a house and then they had to learn how to be little ladies. <laughs> we would do well in this show. Of course. Now, Megan got expelled from charm school on the fourth episode because she kicked one of her classmates. <laughs> she ends up filing a lawsuit against Sharon Osborne, claiming battery negligence and infliction of emotional distress because during uh, the reunion special... Hauserman went off and said a lot of derogatory things about Sharon and Ozzy Osbourne, prompting Sharon to catfight her and pull Megan's hair out. On camera? Yes. So (laughs) the case was settled out of court, but we don't know what the settlement uh, entailed. So VH1 still wasn't done with bad girl Megan yet, finally giving her her own dating show called Megan Wants a Millionaire. I mean, I believe it. It sounds
0: like judging by everything she's done in her career thus far, (laughs) she does want to marry a millionaire. So
1: Mark Cronin, who is co-founder of 51 Minds Entertainment that produces a lot of these shows, said in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, the funny thing about Megan was she states her ambition is to marry a millionaire. So we said, what if we filled a house with millionaires and they're competing for you to be their trophy wife? Uh, So that's the premise. It's basically Megan wants to find a rich guy to marry. uh, In keeping with that theme, when a contestant is sent home, she cuts their credit card in half and tells them their card has been declined. (laughs) (laughs) So VH1 sends a casting notice out for the show looking for single men of the highest pedigree with a net worth of at least $1 million. Uh, they place ads on radio stations. They throw casting parties at nightclubs looking for candidates to fill this uh, show. Eventually, they find a 32-year-old real estate developer named Ryan Jenkins in Las Vegas, where he wins the team over with his cocky charm. Now, Ryan is actually Canadian. and He is in las vegas sort of like on an extended visa his dad is also a real estate developer and definitely probably where the money uh, comes from ryan is your typical spoiled rich brat who faces zero consequences and basically just gets whatever he needs through his dad Um, he's always protected by his divorced parents who think he can do no wrong that's his vibe He also really wants to be someone despite having nothing special about him, which is honestly about 95% of people on reality TV. (laughs) They all just, like, they don't really have anything, but they can get on these shows. I mean, it's like, whatever. It can be fun, but it's definitely going to get a certain type of person, I think, in the mix.
0: But there's also people who aspire to be reality stars, and they go on... Well, now. No, but I'm saying what I was going to say is they aspire to be reality stars. They go on reality TV and they think they have charisma and they, you can tell they're really trying really hard and it's just very off putting like someone like, Oh, totally. Someone like big Ed where it's just so transparent that he's trying to like make his own viral moments. But then you have Queens, Darcy and Stacy who have natural charisma and are
1: stars in their own right. But definitely we're needy for attention.
0: Yeah, I guess. I mean, look, I'll defend them to the death, but I'm just saying there's- there's I mean,
1: a lot of people going on TV want attention. Of course. I mean, it's not shy people. We want attention. Absolutely. Obviously. I'm not saying it's even a negative thing, but you're definitely getting people who might not have any special skills to become famous any other way. Yeah. I'm just saying it's a different world now. This early day of reality television, I think you're getting more of a mixed bag and people didn't really know what it was. Yeah. Uh and now I think it's like you said people like go on there to use it as a launching pad yeah. which takes away some of the charm of it or can Of course. Uh for sure. because
0: it doesn't seem it takes away the
1: there's nothing authentic about it. Yes, and that's why I think people who are authentic like Darcy and Stacy even if you find them annoying, like I definitely do, <laughs> they're still authentic. Right. Uh, like it's appealing still to watch them because that's who they are. That's who
0: they are. Yeah, but and s- you
1: don't have to like it to be like, okay, that's who they are. At least they're not trying to do something to to be more famous or to make a splash. An example of someone who
0: is really try, a try-hard is Stephanie, the fart jar girl. Yes. That's someone who clearly went on 90 Day to build her brand. She broke Erica's heart in the process, which is really upsetting. And she's someone who tries to create viral moments.
1: Yeah, she's irritating. And it's especially gross. It's one thing to just go on as yourself, but when you're tricking someone into falling in love, yeah, that's definitely uh, a bridge too far. So luckily for Ryan... Um, The Megan once a millionaire casting director, finds him charming, even though he uh, probably isn't to a lot of people. Uh, According to him, his name is Christopher Catalano, Ryan Jenkins had one of the best personalities on this planet. He was intriguing. He knew it. He wasn't the best looking guy in the world, but he had charisma. Now, I've seen the rest of the cast of this show... Uh, And he was on the better looking side compared to most of the other guys. Really? I'm not saying he's attractive, but these guys were not that hot. They were, yeah. (laughs) I I mean, they had money, I guess, although that's even questionable. Um, Because having a million dollars, it's like, what does that even mean? You own a house, a bungalow in LA? Right. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't necessarily mean you're loaded and cash rich. Um, But yeah. Megan's not trying to find love on this show So I, I think it's fine Now on the premiere episode Ryan refers to himself as a little bit of a Prince Charming And a little bit of a bad boy
0: You can't call yourself a bad boy
1: No, it's gross Describing yourself is just awful that's got to be the worst thing about reality shows, like coming up with your little thing I would
0: be saying. Also, I would be so stressed out if I was a housewife coming up with the perfect tagline. I think of it. I think of it all Like the weekly. Because I'm too. like, I'm
1: so scared. I'm going to have to come up with something. And right. it's like, there's just no way. Like thinking of aut- authenticity, it's like, it's going to be, no matter what you pick is planned to say something about yourself. And that's just always gross to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like, as much as I'd
0: like to think, like I would... uh you know, prevent myself from having a bad edit on reality TV. Like, I know that there's nothing I could do if I was cast on a reality show that would prevent people from roasting the fuck out of me.
1: And what if we get hungry? That's what I'm saying. We're screwed. I'm fucked if (laughs) if I'm hungry one day on set. (laughs) If I'm hungry one day and they're filming, it's over. Um, Ryan quickly becomes one of Megan's favorites, and he even comes close to winning the show. In later interviews, um, she says Ryan was closer to winning the show than anyone realized, I actually really liked Ryan. I wanted to pick him as the winner. I got his phone number and called him when we weren't filming. So they had an outside relationship was which was forbidden. We would talk on the phone at night. We were having a phone relationship outside of filming that no one knew about. I basically told him, I'm going to pick you. Whoa. When Megan tells producers who she's going to choose, they explained that Ryan wasn't Ryan wasn't coming off likable in his interviews and seemed like he was just putting on a show for her. They never explicitly told her not to choose him, but they made it clear to Megan that viewers would be upset if he won and encouraged her to rethink her choice. Um, He was really upset about that, she said. I was also upset. There was only a few days left of filming and Megan planned to call him once production wrapped up to smooth things over. She said, I figured I would just call him and explain to him that, you know, it's a TV show. The story wasn't going that way. I wanted to pick him and couldn't. And then I thought I would just meet up with him afterwards. When they finally spoke, Ryan had something to tell Megan. He said, I have to tell you something. I was so upset when I left the show. I went to Vegas and I met a girl. She's my soulmate and we got married. Holy shit. So one of the producers, they thought Ryan's sudden marriage made sense. He said he was really desperate to have a trophy wife. When he eventually lost Mm -hmm. on the show, he very quickly found himself another blonde in Vegas and married her. I think that was him trying to win the show in the end the woman Ryan married was Jasmine Fiore. On the show, he said, I typically date girls who turn a lot of heads. I love the chase. And Jasmine fit the bill for, as far as that goes. She was a 28-year-old 20 year swimsuit model originally from the Santa Cruz, California area. She frequently worked as a body painted model for industry parties and appeared in shows at casinos in Las Vegas. As well as in commercials for adult phone lines, I think she was also like a Hawaiian tropic right. model, which is a very typical sort of first rung on the ladder modeling gig yeah. out here. Um, after meeting on March sixteenth, two thousand and nine, two days later, the pair married at the Little White Wedding Chapel on the Las Vegas Strip. So two days after meeting, that's crazy. That's
0: that's like that's less than Pam Tommy and, and Tommy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's less than Tommy and Pam. Um,
1: okay, so. According to Lisa Lapore, who is Jasmine's mom, she spoke of um, Jasmine's happy childhood. She said she was a great kid, a lot of fun. She was smart. She had an agenda. You know, this is a girl we called General Jasmine when she was three. She woke up. She had a plan. And like all this kind of stuff going on from a very uh, young age. She was born Jasmine Lepore in 1981. Her parents got divorced when she was eight years old. And that's when her mom, Lisa, moved her up to a town called Bonny Doon, which is outside of Santa Cruz. It sounds like it's in the Irish Springs. (laughs) I've never heard of Bonny Doon. It's really small, but it's sort of by Santa Cruz. Um, She was kind of a tomboy. She played football and she also was remembered working at the local grocery store, being like the cheerful um, bad girl. A woman named Sarah Jansen, who met her in the fifth grade, said, Jasmine was just so exciting. She brought a new lease on life to us up here. She was a beautiful, beautiful girl, and she knew that could take her places. She wanted big things in her life and was gonna go get them. Now, friends spoke of her desire to be famous, and when her tomboy looks turned into being the classic California beach girl, that seemed attainable. She was shy. But she was very determined, and she left her small town to pursue modeling. Now, despite her dreams of stardom, she also had a practical side. Uh, Jasmine uh, had recently obtained a real estate license when she met Ryan, and she was also planning to open a gym and personal training center. Uh, Her other goal in life was finding her true love. She was um, in a series of failed relationships. She had a first marriage few people knew about to a man named Mike Cardozi. He ended up being imprisoned for drug-related charges, and I think the marriage was annulled, but for sure ended, according to a friend of Jasmine's named Marta Montoya. She had a longstanding, serious relationship with a man named Robert Hasman, as well as a man named Travis Heinrich whom she met in 2005 and were was briefly engaged to. Both of these men she would continue seeing and dating sporadically uh, throughout the rest of her life. There were also some unsubstantiated rumors that the wedding between Ryan and Jasmine was based on his desire for a green card. Um, one friend, Ryan Jenkins. Yes. So one friend said that Uh, He needed to get a citizenship. They made a deal. He was going to pay her $10,000 to do this. And uh, a cause of stress between them was that he had not deposited this $10,000 into her account. Um, Those friends who believe this think that for Ryan, it became more very quickly that he fell in love with her, which they thought obviously is a very easy thing to do because she uh, was a cheerful, uh, easy to be with person. Now, other friends do think she was definitely smitten with him. Uh, she told many friends that she had met a wonderful man who was handsome, sexy, everything she wanted. But trouble began in the relationship almost immediately. Now, Fiore's mom, Lisa Lapore claims that the two fought frequently and that Ryan Jenkins was jealous of all of her relationships that she had, these friendships with her ex-boyfriends. Dan Jenkins, Ryan's father, had a different take on it. He felt that uh, Jasmine would just leave him alone and that uh, she was his only friend in California and so that this was a very hard uh, thing for Ryan to have to deal with when she just would sort of neglect him. Now, you'll start hating Ryan's dad very quickly. (laughs) He's just the worst. Um, So the mom also told the Associated Press that her daughter... Had had her marriage to Jenkins annulled in May of 2009, but there's no court records of this at all in Nevada, where they married, or Los Angeles, where they lived, so I don't know what that's about. Friends would later say that Jasmine, like many battered women, at first kept her abuse a secret, but it became very public in June of 2009. While vacationing in Las Vegas, the couple got into a fight near a hotel swimming pool. They were all partying by the pool when her ex, Travis Heinrich, arrived. She kisses him hello, which sparks Ryan into like a fucking fury, a jealous fury. They began to argue, and according to Travis, quote, all of a sudden she said something, and then just the hand came over, hit her in the arm. This knocked her off balance, and she fell into the pool fully dressed. (gasps) Now, she presses charges uh, on Ryan over this incident, and he was set to go on trial in December of 2009. According to Dan Jenkins, Ryan's uh, father, he just keeps giving all these statements to the Vancouver Sun. He grabbed her hand to try and leave. They argued. He pushed her away, and she fell in the pool. He spent two horrific days in jail for pushing someone in the swimming pool. Now, I would, we all know I would put someone in jail for pushing me into the swimming pool (laughs) for a very long time, so I don't know what the fuck his deal is. Sometime later, he would say to me, Dad, I cannot spend another day in jail for questioning. Not one more day. I would rather die. So whatever he he pushed her he assaulted her in public and got arrested and sent to jail for 2 days seems like pretty normal uh, stuff i don't know what he's whining about he should maybe take a break and not hit people right um so they obviously Decide they're going to take a break. At this point, she's not leaving him, uh, but they're going to take a break, which coincides with Jenkins going to Mexico to shoot a second reality show, "I Love Money" season three. He's going to be on another season. Yep, of reality TV. That's right. So he is sure that this is going to bring him and Jasmine even closer because he's going to win all this money, and then she's going to be impressed with him, uh, et cetera. Very insecure person. Yeah, uh, obviously. Now, while he goes to film I Love Money in Mexico, she goes back – she, like, stays in Vegas. She doesn't stay in Los Angeles where they have their apartment. So she's back on the party scene where she's always been a big hit – and nothing's changed on that front, even though she's married. Now, people in Las Vegas, obviously, who know her for a long time, they really care about her. They're glad to see her away from Jenkins. None of them like her, like Jenkins. They see him as basically a con man. Yeah. Uh, Travis says he's a salesman. He figured out every button she liked and wanted and basically would capitalize on those things. And and she was definitely like liked being with someone who was going to be on TV. His show hadn't aired yet. But it's like she he had these trappings of fame and money that were definitely appealing to her, like many people. Now, Ryan is relentlessly trying to get her back while he's in Mexico filming. She gets an email from him dated July 27th, 2009, that professes his love Uh, he says, if you can come back to me and stop all the craziness, we can have a wonderful life. Your forgiveness, trust, and loyalty is all I need right now. And when your love for me grows and our lives are heading in that right direction, I'll truly feel complete. I will never leave you. I only want you. Now, while they're filming this, Mark Cronin, who is the production company head, everyone sees him calling Jasmine all the time while he's filming this, I love money three. He says he kept telling her on the phone I'm going to win this and you and I are going to have the life I've always promised. Then he would ask her where were you last night. So it would like go between jealousy and like all of these promises. Um he was he goes on to say he was very jealous and very suspicious of her. We were actually making a story of it on the show. We were like look at this guy he's obsessed with this model he married. It was funny until it wasn't funny at <laughs> all. Uh, yeah, I'll <laughs> Yeah, stalking a woman is never a funny storyline, honestly. No, no. Uh, So she eventually agrees to reconcile with him once filming on the show is complete. After filming wraps, they reunite and head off for a poker tournament together. On August 13th, they check into the La Berge Del Mar Hotel in San Diego. So they attend this poker tournament, which is a charity fundraiser at the Del Mar Hilton. Surveillance video captures them leaving the Hilton about 2.30 a.m. on August 14th. They are later seen at the Ivy Hotel, which is a nightclub in downtown San Diego. And at around 4.30 a.m., Jenkins returns to the La Berge Hotel alone. He leaves at 9 a.m. that same day by himself. On August 15th at 8.55 p.m., Jenkins reports Jasmine missing, telling police that he last saw her at 8.30 p.m. on August 14th at their home in Los Angeles. He says that they had gone to San Diego for a poker event. After returning, she dropped him off at home that evening and left to do errands and never returned. Earlier that morning on August 15th at about 7 a.m., a body was found in a dumpster in Buena Park. It had been badly beaten and crushed into a suitcase. The person who found the body believed that it was a child, but investigators quickly realized it was a woman. The teeth and fingers had been removed before her naked body was stuffed into the suitcase in almost a fetal position. It appeared she had been strangled to death in addition to beaten. Authorities believe this mutilation was an attempt to impede the identification. At around 9 a.m. on August 16th, day after reporting Jasmine missing, Ryan spent some time packing before leaving the penthouse for the last time. Police said he then left Los Angeles and went to Nevada to pick up his speedboat. On August 17th, when contacted by police about his missing persons report, he said that he was in Utah and was headed to Canada to resolve some immigration issues. On August 18th, the remains are finally identified as being Jasmine Fiore in a very unusual way. They used the serial numbers on her breast implants to identify her. The Orange County Coroner's Office reported that she had died a couple of hours before her body was found. Soon after, her white Mercedes was found in an abandoned parking lot in West Hollywood about a mile from the penthouse she shared with Ryan. Ryan. According to a police officer on the case, there was a significant portion of blood in this vehicle that indicated a violent struggle had occurred. The blood was found on Jasmine's passenger seat, the back seat, the rear windshield, and there was evidence that there was attempts to wipe away the blood inside the car. Uh, According to this uh, detective, the blood loss appears to be more significant in the backseat area. So that appears to be where the majority of the struggle um, had taken place. There was also hair evidence taken from inside the vehicle. Hair was all over the place indicating that it was being pulled from either the victim or the suspect. Friends, of course, immediately suspect that Jenkins is behind this. They theorize that he had discovered text messages between Jasmine and one of her exes and flew into a jealous rage. Um, one of her friends named Tonya Moore, uh, she says that he beat her up, he choked her, he killed her. He realized what he did and tried to cover it up, panicked, mutilated her, and threw her in the trash. No one belongs in the trash. I don't care what kind of person they are. Nobody deserves to die like that. Nobody. Now, Brad Garrett, a former FBI profiler and an ABC News consultant in this 2020, I saw said, it's the kind of case that would get prosecuted for capital murder because it's so horrendous. These horrible acts of removing her fingers and pulling her teeth out, it's it's a cover up for him. So someone else will get blamed for this Jane Doe in a dumpster. Ryan is now a person of interest in her murder, but where is he? The um, Whatcom County Sheriff's Department received witness reports that his black BMW SUV has been seen towing this boat towards the Canada-U.S. border. Police later find this BMW SUV and an empty boat trailer at a marina in Blaine, Washington. The engine's still warm. Why is getting his boat so important when he's trying to be on the run? Well, we'll get to that. (laughs) So at the time... He's still a person of interest in this investigation. He hasn't been charged, but obviously Canadian authorities have been alerted to watch for him. U.S. Coast Guard and U.S. Customs and Border Protection confirmed that they have boats patrolling northwest Washington waters looking for him starting on August 19th.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. They found the boat trailer at the marina. So he's like trying to escape by water.
1: Yes, Because that's how he's going to get across the border without being caught doing this water thing. So he's in Washington. A lot of his family is from Vancouver, which is, uh, yeah. So the initial media reports were that the US Coast Guard and Canadian authorities had chased his speedboat as he tried to cross the border, but that is uh, inaccurate. On the afternoon of August 19th, he calls his father from Birch Bay, Washington, and is informed by his dad that Fiore has been found murdered. Uh, on August 19th, a man matching his description is seen driving a boat into a marina in Point Roberts where his stepmother lives. The Royal Canadian Mountain Police announced that they believe he crossed into Canada sometime between August 19th and August 20th. On August 20th, he is officially charged with Jasmine's murder and an arrest warrant is issued as well as a $25,000 reward for his capture. Ryan's dad is back to the Vancouver sun, giving his, uh, a big long winded statement. According to him, Monday, August 17th, I was on holiday when Ryan called me to tell me he was driving home to Canada. He sadly recounted that Jasmine had left him again. He said they had returned from San Diego early Friday evening. She had gone out saying she needed to run an errand and not come back. By late Saturday afternoon, he went to the LAPD and reported her missing. He goes on to say, on Wednesday morning, I heard the awful news that Jasmine had been found murdered. I started to try to reach Ryan. I got a call from Ryan that afternoon. I told him that I had heard Jasmine had been found murdered. He was in shock. He broke down crying. I assumed he panicked and thinking he might be a suspect, jumped into his boat and drove to Point Roberts so he could reach Vancouver where much of his family lived. I caught a plane to Vancouver the next morning and was detained at the airport The authorities said they wanted to find Ryan for illegal entry into Canada. While I was in line at customs, he called me, but I was told to hang up the phone as cell phones are not allowed. Tragically, that was the last time I heard my son's voice. Now, about 6 p.m. on August 20th, Jenkins arrives in a silver PT cruiser with a young blonde woman at Thunderbird Motel in Hope, British Columbia, Canada. They pull up beside a dumpster, rather beside the rooms, which the motel manager immediately was like, that's weird. He stayed in the car while the young woman paid cash for three nights accommodation. The manager described the woman as attractive, about 25 to 30 years old, very calm and making small talk while registering. The guest in the room next door said that the woman stayed for about 20 minutes with Jenkins in room two and then left the motel. This woman will turn out to be his half-sister, Elena Jenkins. The manager saw Ryan walking outside the hotel the next day on August 21st. He said that Jenkins looked exhausted and was not recognizable from the pictures he was seeing on television. At 1130 a.m. on August 23rd, the couple failed to check out and he noticed very little activity over the weekend, so the motel manager and his nephew decided to check on the room. When they went into the room, they found Jenkins dead, apparently of suicide, his body hanging from a clothes rack by a belt. No suicide note was found at the motel, but police did find a document saved on his computer titled Last Will and Testament and dated August 20th, 2009. According to police, about half of the letter described how much he loved Jasmine, and in the same breath, he would talk about how frustrated she made him and that he felt very jealous about some of her relationships, and that frustrated him immensely. There were some negative feelings about alleged infidelity. He did not acknowledge or take responsibility responsibility for the murder but he did apologize to his family for all of the negative attention that this case was generating so according to the fbi profiler i mean he says what's pretty obvious he in his mind ryan was like i can't get out of this right so he realized he had stepped over the line he had done something maybe that even his psyche couldn't handle at that point uh, so he got to Canada uh, when he was alone. He just couldn't stop thinking about what he had done and just realized he would never get out of it and couldn't take it any longer. So as clear cut as this case might seem to all of us, his family's not buying it. His dad is still releasing these long statements defending his son to the media. To this day? Or I mean, then? In then this, time. this is then. I don't oh. know it now, but I can't imagine what's changed. I don't even know if he's still alive. On August 28th, he gives a statement that says, if Ryan had done such a thing, would he have filed a missing persons report? It's like, have you watched any true crime shows ever in your life? (laughs) Like, would he have listened to his mom and driven home to Canada? If he was guilty of this crime, would he have casually driven to Las Vegas to collect his things, put his boat pull his boat out of the water and driven north? Actually, yeah. Would he Uh, he have talked with a lawyer in Vancouver? (laughs) I totally believe that my son was innocent of this crime and believe that the last three days of his life were spent alone in a hotel room watching the media report that he was the um, brutal killer of his own wife. On television, it was as if he had been tried and convicted. I think in his loneliness and despair he simply gave up. Ryan was an amazing young man. Everyone loved him. He was smart and talented and excelled at everything he ever attempted from business to athletic endeavors. He will be missed by me forever. It has been a week of absolute despair and I'm deeply angered by his loss. I remain absolutely convinced that this gentle, sweet young man was absolutely incapable of this crime. I understand the police department is making progress in the case and once I'm in better shape I intend to offer a reward for the capture of her killer. I offer For my sincerest condolences for Jasmine's family. Not only have two lives been lost, but two families have been destroyed. I mean, it's nice of him to think of her family at the very, very, very end. Right? Like this is just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you can see where Ryan kind of gets it from. Oh, totally. For sure. Of course, his mom is pretty much. uh, Oh, he also added this uh, that the last four months, this girl destroyed him. Jesus. And he said that he advised Ryan over fifty times to get out of that relationship. Uh, so Ryan's mom also makes a statement. Uh, she says her condolences to Jasmine's family. Um, she can't deal with this right now. She thinks her son is also innocent and that he panicked. Uh, she's devastated and that's her only child, um, et cetera. Look, I get parents being upset right. in this situation, but he clearly did it. I'm sorry. Like, uh, yeah. Of course, Jasmine's friends and family have a completely different take, the one that we all have. One of the ex-boyfriend, Robert Hasman, says that Ryan Jenkins is an animal and what he did to Jasmine is unspeakable. Now, the day after Jenkins' death, VH1 officially announces that Megan Wants to Marry a Millionaire is canceled after airing three episodes and that it would not be running the third season of I Love Money, which Jenkins won. Oh! <gasps> He did, he did? Win. yeah. He did win that uh, show. It never airs, but this is only the beginning of VH1 and everyone associated with these shows' troubles. Now, people associated with um, "Megan Wants a Millionaire" began to be interviewed, obviously, because this case is pretty big at the time. And reporters began investigating how a killer could have made it past all of these supposed stringent vetting processes that the cast of these shows go through. One of the contestants on Millionaire named Audi Pineda, you know, describes Ryan as being a good guy, cool, down to earth. Da 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 da. He also says that he's a barber who owns some properties, but he's hardly a millionaire. Uh, he's like, no, I'm not worth over a million. I said I was worth over a million on the show, but that's not true. Now the twenty, the producers of Megan wants to, Jenkins or oh, no, this guy Audi. Oh, okay. So the producers of the show say, oh, ha ha ha, like that's funny, like part of the fun was picking out the fakes, which is not true. That's not the concept of the the show at all. They already
0: have a show called Joe Millionaire. Yeah.
1: So obviously fake millionaires are one thing, but this just just shows you how sloppy and without a care, a lot of these productions were at the time. So (laughs) obviously letting a violent offender on the show uh, is not as harmless as a millionaire is. And after this murder happens, Producers quickly released a statement saying that after reviewing all of their vetting processes, they're deeply troubled that someone with a violent record had slipped through. That someone was Jenkins. He had a violent record before he went on the show. Really? This is not a new thing. In January of 2007, he was convicted of assaulting his girlfriend at the time, a woman named Fern Jewel. He was sentenced to 15-month probation, which included counseling for sex addiction and domestic violence. Now, this... Incident had not been disclosed, obviously, to VH1 or Megan Wants a Millionaire producer, 51 Minds, and they obviously state that they would have never allowed him on the show if they knew about this 2007 incident, but why didn't they? So they immediately passed the buck to the company that they hire to do the vetting process, an agency called Collective Intelligence, which is a private investigation firm that performs hundreds and hundreds of thousands of background checks on reality TV contestants. That's all they do. So they're like, it's not our fault. We hired this company. It's their fault. Erica Worth is a private investigator who founded Collective Intelligence. She starts seeing this uh, incident happening and going down in Vancouver and that Ryan is on the run. And she's immediately like, how did this happen? She knows that this is a person they vetted. She calls her partner at the time and was like, don't we do background checks for this show? Um, They immediately start trying to figure out how this guy slipped through. Then they realized that they outsourced that particular um, vetting process to a Canadian company because they didn't have access to stuff in Canada, so they had to because Ryan is Canadian. So they had outsourced it to a company called Straight Line International, And straight line, when she Erica tries to call straight line to see what happened and get any documentation that they found on Ryan at the time, they basically don't return her calls or emails.
0: Whoa! Uh,
1: So she's obviously freaking out because it's sort of still her responsibility or her company's responsibility. I have
0: a question: Was the conviction for the assault of his girlfriend was that a Canadian
1: crime or an American crime? Canadian. So there's no record of it. Well, I'll get to it. Okay. So the media backlash obviously begins almost immediately. Uh, a headline in Los Angeles Times is How Did a Model's Accused Murder Get on TV? New York Times runs a piece called Killing Raises New Reality TV Concerns. Um, obviously, VH1 is like distancing itself, saying, We're, that's not even us. That's 51 Minds. That's their show. <laughs> like, even though they put it on the air. I mean, it's a VH1 show. Right. But everyone is passing the buck. Uh, and basically... The reason this criminal record escaped the notice of the outsourced um, company is that a Canadian court clerk fucked up when they did it. Yes. So collective intelligence actually sued straight line for breach of contract over this um, because they told her that Jenkins' record was clean. They also failed to check his um, background against the criminal database where they would have picked it up. So there was a few things they could have done as backups that they didn't do. Um, this collective intelligence wins their lawsuit. Um, obviously that's not disclosed. So when the news broke about Ryan being responsible for Jasmine's murder, Megan was staying at a friend's apartment in LA. She said, I was in the shower and my friend came running into the bathroom screaming that Ryan was on the TV. They showed his face and said he was a suspect and that they had found Jasmine's body. I at first thought it was an accident. My first thought was like, there was no way that he could do this on purpose. Cronin remembers, um, Mike Cronin, who is the producer of the show, remembers pulling over to listen to the Buena Park Police Department's press conference that named him the prime suspect. He said the details were hor- horrible. I felt like he's looking at this like a challenge on the show. We would do challenges on Megan all the time, like make a presentation to our board of directors about how you're going to make your next million. And I thought he's going into a challenge where he killed her and now he's got to figure out a way to get away with it. While he was on the run, Megan said she never left her apartment because she was scared he would come looking for her. She said, I tried not to think about it too much, obviously, but it's hard not to. There was such a This was such a close call for me. Jasmine and I could have been interchangeable. Now, the scandal with Jenkins um, and all of the stuff about the reality television and is it safe, et cetera, obviously sort of faded away, um, though for many in the industry, this murder is never far from their minds. According to Erica Worth from the um, consulting company or the um, background check company, I have never taken an easy breath since this happened ten years ago. She's her company, by the way, did bounce back, and they are responsible for forty percent of the like background checks on reality shows at, wow. to this day. Now she like she's like, I always do supplemental searches now at her own expense, um, sometimes because. Uh, although she did say a lot of. Um, People who get this vetting process done for her, they never have a lack of budget concerns. They're like, take whatever money you need to get this done properly. So that is uh, definitely good. People want a thorough report. Mike Cronin went on to create uh, Below Deck, which is obviously a huge franchise on Bravo. I've never watched it. But he also says that he lenses everything through this incident now. Every conversation I have during approval process for a contestant or cast member is just complete vigilance, like looking for things. We are more careful after the show stops taping to keep in close contact with everyone. We keep an eye on them. We had a woman on below deck who needed psychological counseling after the show. There were danger signs. She was crying out for help in different ways, and we made sure she got professional counseling when it ended. A survivor casting producer um, says that they grow more and more cautious with each passing season, even though it means sometimes they lose out on amazing candidates. But in reality TV, uh, as in life, she says you cannot eliminate risk. People are people. They have free will. It's hard to know what anyone's going to do. And they did recently have a scandal where a contestant was like sexually grabbing or harassing women. On Survivor? And he, yes, and he was kicked off. Um, Megan is now happily married and living in Florida with her husband and young son. And she says she still looks back on her time as a celeb, what does she call it? A celeb (laughs) reality, whatever, uh, as a sort of fun year. She says, I think I had a lot of fun in my twenties. It was a once in a lifetime experience. Um, even though it definitely ended on a really horrible, uh, note, um, she said it she she was asked if she thinks she could have done anything differently to prevent Fiori's murder. She said, Come "Who on. knows? I mean, I know That's why is not it her, her fucking responsibility? I she's like if I didn't talk to him outside the show, like maybe he wouldn't have been upset and run Who off." Who asked like, that question? This was in Entertainment Weekly. The, what a weird question. I know. Maybe if he didn't get cast, you can't really say. I mean, the truth is, you can't she, really say. And he and they could pass a background check and still do something. Like, but she didn't cast. No, him. absolutely. Uh, As for Chris Catalano, he is the casting director who cast Ryan. He, of course, looking back, uh, thinks there was something about him that gave him pause, even though he found him charismatic, and that now he takes those gut feelings more seriously, and he always listens, saying, I'd rather be wrong than end up with another Ryan Jenkins. I mean, I definitely think it's good to take these things very seriously and do this due diligence and make sure you've done a thorough check, but... I don't know that there is a, a way to do it like where nothing would ever happen again. It's just such a volatile situation a lot of times. Okay. Uh so it could stress people to a point too, where it makes them background checks? No, just being on these shows. Like oh. it puts a lot of stress on like when I was reading this, there's a lot of incidents that have happened on these shows.
0: Right. There's a lot murder. of
1: No, that aren't murder, but like a lot of suicides have happened post show. Now these people could have obviously been suffering, but it does put this added uh, stress, I think, on people's mental health. Yeah, maybe for sure. Uh, So I definitely feel like this post counseling for those who need it is definitely good, and keeping up on these people and not just letting them drift off without, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, I don't know what to say. Uh, But yeah, that's the story. That was
0: really interesting, Desi, because I've heard this story a few times before, but I had never heard on a podcast, uh, not to toot our own horns, but I didn't, (laughs) it sounds like I'm like, well, this is the, I'm sure other podcasts have covered whatever, but just the background into the background checks of these reality shows. So that was really interesting information to have knowing. I mean, it's like I said at the top of the show, it's interesting that this, Horrible tragedy was sort of the catalyst for more stringent background checks. Yet, like I mentioned, we still see these incidents where people will get cast. Someone like Jeffrey, who got cast on 90 Day Fiance, and the fans of the show immediately were like, this guy has a bunch of domestic violence charges against him.
1: Well, definitely with the prevalence of the internet, even though it was around in the early 2000s, I think there's a lot of at-home sleuths too. Yes. So it's like they if they if their background people don't get it, the fans are going to find it on social media, on Reddit boards, because people start talking yes. uh, on these meshe- message groups, and like I, Reddit uh, stuff
0: comes up. I mean, a, a woman who's on the current season of Before the 90 Days just got cut from the show mid-season because viewers of the show found racist things she had posted oh. on Instagram. So she got cut from the show. She's not going to appear at the tell-all. So yeah, a lot of it is like fans, fans are able to dig up these things that I guess slip through the
1: cracks. Well, be, all you need is one person probably saying, look for this. I know she had. you know what I mean like right and it's like you can easily find stuff people's histories online as well yeah um but yeah it's definitely interesting and it is definitely something as someone who watches reality tv I I think about it every once in a while like, yeah. is this morally okay because <laughs> it's sort of sometimes I'm like is this okay like it's <laughs> yes. weird uh even like with the housewives there's like a lot of Bad people on those shows lately.
0: Dude, this this season of Salt Lake City alone (laughs) is like full of weird shit going on with cast members. It's like we
1: put these people on TV and it's like, like I said, there's things you don't get from a background check. Mm -hmm. Like people's opinions, bad opinions, (laughs) and like the way they see the world can be really Awful, and it's like, you, do you really want to be associated with that? Well, and, and once they're on, you can't really stop it until it's over. Like, well, and then the Jen Shaw thing, it's like, <laughs> she's not just doing, she's like conning people, <laughs> yeah. and like, same with Erica and her husband, it's right. like they're taking poor people and pe- people's money. <laughs> this is not vulnerable people, vulnerable people, yeah, it's like you're stealing people who lost everything yeah. to a horrific airplane crash or fire and stealing their money so you can buy fucking Birkin bags. Like right. the worst of the worst. Yeah. And like Jen Shaw is just, Ugh. I mean, she's so awful. And then somehow they managed to get more people who are, who are awful in other ways. Like, oh, yeah. Well, where it's almost like Jesus, like, I mean,
0: it's, it's crazy how this season, like, uh, like this whirlwind of like the stuff with, Jenny, uh, yeah. cast member coming out, and it's like, Whoa! Like, ever at first it's like, Oh, everyone's focused on Jen Shaw, and then this information about Jenny comes out, and it's like, It adds this whole other thing. Yeah. It's like, Is anyone in this cast decent?
1: I mean, that's what you have to wonder with the reality
0: people. It's and, just kind of,
1: it's wild. And
0: look, I'll keep watching. I, I'm like addicted to reality TV. I'm well, like it's addicted. fascinating,
1: I think, because it is real in some ways. And yes. even as, as much as they try to present this lifestyle, the reality does come in yes. eventually. And that's sort of what's interesting. I mean, these people are not role models or heroes. No. And they shouldn't be. No. Because they're just people like they're us. people. I mean, we're not as that not that bad, but just I'm just saying, like they're just people, and it's going to come through, like yeah. So that is kind of interesting to see the the facade crack. I think, yeah, maybe that's what keeps people coming back. Um, but yeah, and I and look,
0: I follow several cast members from 90 Day Fiance. I follow some Housewives on Instagram because I'm interested in these people's. Like personal lives, even
1: beyond the show. Well, even when they're trying to present something to you, you can still see things. Yes. I think, uh, and that's definitely a new thing. Like the social media access is yes. definitely from the more like the past ten years or yeah. whatever that didn't exist in the earlier 2000s. Well, now we
0: have even more access. Yeah. to their personal lives,
1: and they're bigger stars. I would say.
0: Yes, uh, I think so
1: for sure. So yeah, wow,
0: Desi, that was that was hella interesting. Um, We're going to record our after show now and post some pics. We'll post pictures.
1: Um, Okay.
0: All right. Bye.
2: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy.